you know, a lot of the property management companies out there just allow um, their managers to respond in any which way. And a lot of times formatting's wrong, grammar's terrible, and it's just not very welcoming. It's, it's a copy and paste that basically says, thanks for applying. This is what we have available. Call me if you want anything. And so we've um, formatted our emails to be very uniformed and it adds value back to the residents. Here are some local shopping centers near us. Here are some great schools that you can apply to if you have children. You know, here are some photos of the property. Um, and the person, the manager has a picture of their face and their signature so you can relate to them, right? And so you know who you're talking to so that when they do come in and tour, they feel like they already know you. Um, but doing things like that, it, it seems very simple, but, you know, we're adding value before they're even a resident of ours. We're trying to show them why you want to live here, the great things about living here, and giving them resources instead of trying to sell them up front. It is a common saying amongst real estate investors that you make money when you buy, not when you sell. While this catchy phrase has value, it fails to convey how easy it is to lose money through poor property management. Whether you self-manage or hire a professional, it is important to understand how to navigate the common pitfalls and challenges with rental properties without losing your shirt or your mind. That's why you have tuned in to Maximizing Your Property Value, the Apartment Owner's Guide to Operating Rental Properties as a Successful Business. I'm your host, John Stiles, real estate agent and team leader of the VIP Real Estate Group at Bridge Realty. As a current multifamily investor and former property manager myself, I understand the headaches and difficulties of keeping an investment property from becoming a money pit and time sucker. It takes a solid business plan, it takes tested systems, and it takes key team members to actually find success. So let's take a deep dive and maximize your property value. All right, welcome back everybody to another episode of Maximizing Your Property Value. I'm so pleased that you have joined us today, and I'm pleased to introduce you to today's guest, who is Kyle Mitchell. Kyle, thanks for joining us on the show today. Yeah, good to be here, John. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, and I'm excited for what you have to share with the audience. Um, just a little bit about Kyle. Kyle Mitchell is a real estate entrepreneur who has a focus on multifamily syndication and currently has $17 million assets under management. He is the managing partner and co-founder of Limitless Estates, whose vision is to provide A-class living to lower-income housing by putting residents first and instilling a sense of community while inspiring others to do the same. Kyle is also the co-host of the weekly real estate podcast, Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate, where he speaks with various experts in the real estate industry to help educate and create cl clarity for passive investors. With a background in operations, management, and logistics, he has overseen multi-million dollar businesses and has a passion in doing the same in the multifamily syndication space. So that's a little bit about Kyle. And um, why don't you take a moment just to fill in the audience a little bit about your story and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, sure. Thanks for that. Um... That pretty much covered a lot of it, but um, I'm a multifamily syndicator, and we focus on buying apartment buildings in the Arizona markets in Phoenix and Tucson. Um, prior to that, I first started investing in real estate really back in 2010 when I bought my first uh, primary residence and 
kind of did a house hack, moved in some friends and, you know, they started paying rent and my mortgage went down because of that. Um, and then from there in 2013, I started buying some single family homes in the Midwest, did that for a few years and quickly learned that it was difficult to scale in that, in that scenario and in that asset class. Um, so from there, I started looking for other alternatives and I found multifamily and, um, Funny as it is, I ended up leaving my full-time career to pursue multifamily full-time because I just fell in love with the business model um, and everything about it. So 11 months after I found multifamily syndication, I left my full-time job, which was a regional manager for a golf management company. So very similar to property management for a apartment building, but property management for uh, golf courses. And so I did that for 15 years, um, which you mentioned my backgrounds in operations and management. Um, so it really fits well with uh, managing and owning apartment buildings. Um, you know, once you close on the building, that's that's what you do is you manage a manager, build systems and um, and manage a P&L. So uh, I love it. And uh, that's what we currently do. And we're looking to add more assets uh, in the Arizona markets. OK, uh, well, that's great. And a great background to have to be, you know, an asset manager now Um I'm sure there's lots of crossover in, in the experience and what you do now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, um, you know, a lot of people ask me, how did you go from, you know, being in the golf business to switching over and now being a lead sponsor on your first two deals in apartments? And it's because of my background. A lot of people think golf, they don't think of it as management or operations intensive, but that's exactly what it was. You know, the city's hired our management company to come in and build systems and hire people and manage the property. So that's all I did was hire, fire, manage people, build relationships, you know, manage budgets, drive revenue, uh, control expenses. And that's everything it is in, in the apartment world as well. So um, that piece of it just fits right in and I absolutely love it. Great. Well, I really want to get into some of those uh, systems and processes in a moment here. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about just kind of this vision of having A-class living to lower income housing. What, what does that look like to you? Yeah, so we focus on Class C workforce housing, um, even some affordable projects. And really what it is, is it's giving back to the residents first. You know, we definitely look to make our investors the profits that we state we're going to make them. But at the same time, we're a resident first type of management company um, and firm. And that's giving back to them in any way possible, whether it's helping them out with their credit, um, giving them, you know, job postings and, and giving them uh, places where they can find jobs and after school programs or anything like that. Residents come first and it's more about building a community and a culture with the residents that basically drives through to the bottom line because we have residents that stay for longer, that love the community, will um, pay higher rents and, you know, essentially, like I said, stay for longer because your biggest expense is turnover. Yeah. Um, and so the longer residents stay, the better it is for the community. And we're all about creating a culture um, behind that. Great. Well, that's great. I think that's really important to our rental communities um, to have, you know, a sense of community, a sense of belonging there and, and a sense where the owner cares about the residents there. So... Yeah, hopefully we can get into that a little bit more. Um, before we do, you know, what I like to focus on in this podcast is the management processes like you've talked about already. Um, when you're creating a business plan for your rental properties, what are some of the key aspects that you look to include in that plan? 
Yeah, I think, you know, we deal with larger apartment buildings. So we always have a third party property management company managing our properties. And it's about managing the manager, but being on the same page with them. Right. So every property management does things a certain way, um, but you own the property. And so your property management company should be flexible enough to um, customize some of the things that you need. And so, you know, even before 30, 60 days before we're sitting down with our property management company and letting them know, hey, look, this is what we kind of expect. This is what our 30, 60, 90 day plan is. How are we going to hold to that? What do you think about the rents? Putting all those things in place, but also letting them know what we expect from a reporting standpoint. You know, you need to be able to track your KPIs, uh, key performance indicators on a property so you can see trends and be able to be proactive instead of reactive. I think, you know, that's what being a manager is, is, is being proactive. And too many people out there are reactive and they wait for things to happen. And that's when things really go bad. So we always try and look forward 30, 60, 90 days of what the environment can do, you know, and we base that off of certain trends um, in our weekly calls. Okay. Can you give us an example of what, what that looks like? So you're talking about 30, 60, 90 days. What specifics are you looking at in, the, in that time frames? Yeah, one thing I would tell you is a huge thing that we look at is, is leads is a good example, right? Where are the leads coming from? Um, different sources, how much are we paying for each of those leads? And then how many of those leads are converting to an actual showing and an appointment? And how many of those appointments and showings are turning into applications? And then how many of those applications are turning into actual leases, right? And so we're looking at how it's performing on a 30, 60, 90 day basis so we can look back and see any trends. And by breaking it down that to that level, you can see where the bottleneck occurs. And that's another thing that you need to be able to do is identify bottlenecks as a manager. And so, you know, if you're just saying, okay, we have 41 leads and we converted two leases, well, that doesn't tell you really much. It it tells you that you're not converting very well, but where is the bottleneck happening? Are those leads really not great leads? Or are those leads all turning into appointments, you know, half of them, and then the appointments is where, there's a bottleneck where something is going wrong, whether it's, you know, maybe it's the manager who's not showing it. Maybe it's communication. Maybe it's, you know, the property, the rents are too high. All those things matter. And so you need to identify the bottleneck, but you need to identify where that bottleneck is happening. Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, Having these KPIs that you've talked about and then kind of many different uh, stops along the way, you know, the funnel, if you will, to see uh, where that bottleneck is that you're talking about. Very good. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's another one that we do as well as days vacant is a great example, right? Um, If something is 50 days vacant, what does that mean? You know, was it vacant for 30 days because of eviction? Was it vacant for another 14 days because of the rehab? Was it vacant for all 50 because it was in Lisa, right? So depending on where it is in that, it, you're going to be looking at one thing and it could be the uh, another. So you really need to identify what it is um, that's creating that issue. Yeah, <clears throat> that's a good example as well. So for these different KPIs and these different points, data points along the way, 
what ways do you um, have your manager report on them? Do you do spreadsheets? Do you have, is it their software or what is it that you use to track this? Yeah, I mean, the property management company that we use uses Yardy, which is an okay software and it has some of these things. Uh, however, it doesn't have all these things. So right now what we're doing is we have another Excel spreadsheet that they need to send over to us that they plug in and it basically auto-populates all the things that we want to see. We are moving into um, a more robust system that we're creating for ourselves over the next couple of weeks. Um, that'll be able to just pull all that data and spit it out and show us graphs and we'll be able to look at it on a daily basis. We're not at that point yet, but uh, that's the ultimate goal. But right now it's, it's Excel spreadsheets. Okay. Yeah, very good. And how often are you meeting with your manager to discuss this? Yeah, so we talk to them a couple times a week via email uh, we get our, our weekly reports on a Friday. I get to review them over the weekend, and then we talk to them on Monday, and we have a call every Monday. The other thing that we do, we're going through this COVID-19 thing right now, so, you know, stay-at-home stuff. So things have changed for sure. But um, I'm out in our um, – I live in Southern California. Our properties are in Arizona. I'm out there every other week. Um, so we'll stop by and uh, just pop in, you know, and uh, spend 30 minutes to an hour and a half, depending on what's going on with the property. If we're in value add stage, we're going to spend more time taking a look at it. It's already stabilized and we're happy with the way things are going. It maybe it's just to drive by just to see how things are going. Okay. Yeah, that seems like uh, quite a bit of visiting on your part, even, you know, as an out-of-state investor. Um, how do you... Do you look at that as something that's going to continue on for the remainder of the the hold of that property, or is that just because it's in value add time? Or yeah, so the the more stabilized the property, the less we'll see it. However, we're also out in the market for other reasons, um, and so you know, since we're out there, we might as well just drive by the property, right? There's no reason not to. And the more times you can see the property, whether it's in the morning on a Wednesday or, you know, at night at eight o'clock at night on a Tuesday, you just don't know what's going on. When one day we were driving by at night and the lighting was off, you know, so there were several lighting uh, things that were off. The monument sign wasn't being well lit. Um, our banners weren't being well lit. And so the property management company has gone home by then. So they're not checking it. And if you don't drive by the property, there's no way you'll ever know that. Right. So there's those small things that make such a huge difference. Um, and so that's one of the reasons. But we're also out there to build relationships with local investors, with um, local people in the business and brokers, right, and to find properties. And so if you're an out-of-state investor and you think you're going to get a bunch of properties by sitting there just making phone calls and underwriting deals, you know, you're very mistaken. You need to be out in the market building relationships. That's what it's all about. Um, and that's how you find the good deals. And so that's the key reason why we're out in the market. But like I said, if, if you're out there, why not just drive by your properties and check on them to make sure they're doing okay? Yeah, that makes sense. You know, as you are definitely being the opposite of like an absentee landlord, um, when you can see all these different things that are, you know, and make minor adjustments so that the community is just more welcoming and more attractive, you know, I think that's going a long way. Yeah, apartments, it's a business. You're buying a business, right? A single-family home is very different, and it's very singular. There's not a lot of moving pieces when it comes to a single-family home. When you buy an apartment, like it, it really is a business. There's multiple, multiple line items, dozens of line items that you need to manage. And so if you don't have your eye on the prize, things can fall through the cracks very quickly. And that's, again, going back to being proactive and not reactive, you know? We're not waiting for something to go wrong. We're 
trying to forecast things that will potentially go wrong so that we can get ahead of them and, you know, spend some money on the front end to avoid a large bill on the back end in some cases. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's another good point as well. Just actually forecasting, being proactive about your business rather than just reacting to what has happened. Yep. Yeah. Very good. Um, any other aspects of a business plan that you think you have been covering well, but maybe other investors are kind of overlooking? Uh, I don't know if this is kind of to your, what you're asking, but one of the things that we do with our investors is we just like to over communicate, right? Especially in, in tough times or good times. We communicate on a monthly basis to our investors. Plus we have quarterly, uh, webinars for anyone to ask questions. Plus they can call me on my cell phone, right? And, um, I liken that to look, we're going to give you as much info as possible and you can consume as much as you want or as little as you want. Um, but we're more about being transparent and communicating to everyone about everything and how things are going. And then, you know, the investor can decide from there if they want to consume it. Yeah, well, definitely communication. I know from speaking from a, like a passive investor's point of view, you want to know that your investment is, is being taken care of. And, and the, you know, the syndicator, the primary person is, is staying focused on that property. So that's great. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, now you've talked about working with property managers and I know some other companies, you know, will kind of vertically integrate and bring management in house. Uh, how did you look at that option of, of managing in-house versus hiring a third party manager? Yeah, I think, um, you know, we're still considering that. However, you know, being someone that is from the property management world, it's, um, it's a thankless job. It's very low margins and it's very difficult. I mean, it's just a job that gets beat up day in, day out. And you really do it for more control than anything. It's not a revenue generating line item. Um, but right now we're in acquisition mode. And as you build that up and you're in acquisition mode, I think you don't want to take the foot off the gas there to focus on your property management. Some people may disagree and, and there's no right or wrong way, but that's how we are right now. We like our third party property management company and we're confident in them and we like working with them right now. And so we're going to continue to use them and continue to acquire right now. Uh, when we're maybe, you know, a thousand, fifteen hundred units, it may be a different story. Um, but I can see us doing both ways as it sits right now. I'm not sure which way I'm going to end up going. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I have a background in property management as well on the smaller uh, single family, multifamily uh, properties, scattered site properties. And you're right. It is thankless. You always you kind of feel like you're the bad guy when you're talking to the tenants. You're the bad guy when you're talking to the owners. Um so it can be frustrating, but um, great experience, though. <laughs> yeah, but you are the middleman. I mean, you said it right there, but you're, you're the middleman, and you need to please everybody, and it's impossible to please everybody. So it's, it's a very difficult job, for sure. Yeah. Now, so when people are looking for a third-party manager to hire, or when you did, uh, what were some key questions that you asked them to make sure that they were a good fit for you? Yeah, I have a questionnaire that's 65 questions long, to be honest, and it's pretty extensive. And, you know, not a lot of the property managers like that I sent it to them, but it told me a lot about the property management company right off the bat. Um, and so, you know, we had 10 possible property management companies that we got as referrals or found online. And we met with them when we went out there. And when I sent the questionnaire, it dwindled that down to less than five. I think it was probably three that got back to me. And of those three, every time we visited the, um, the market, 
we would um, tour property with them. So I got to meet them in person, really get to understand who I'm working with. And, you know, that quickly became clear who I wanted to work with, uh, just be based on their communication style um, and their willingness to help us. I, I think that that's really set them apart. I'm a very, uh, I'm a person that needs to have my property management company be very responsive. You know, I, I don't like sending an email and not hearing until next Monday's call. Um, I, I like you to get back to me as soon as possible because this is an ever-changing business, right? Operations are going 24-7. There's people living in our property. Once a week on certain items is not enough. So uh, the fact that they were responsive, willing to fill out the questionnaire and spend time with us before we even had a property to tour properties was huge for, for me. And that's why we went with them. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Did you or do you prefer kind of a, a very large company or kind of a small boutique company that can really, you know, change to your needs? Yeah, when I was first starting out, I would have said that I would be looking for a smaller company. However, um, the company that we have now is very large. They have 16,000 units in our market um, and one of the larger players. And the other reason why we went with them is because we never felt like a number on their spreadsheet, right? Which is the concern when you're dealing with a larger property management company is that you're just, you know, one, one out of a, a bunch of people and you're just going to get overlooked. That's just not the case with this property management company, which I love. And the other thing I love about them is their buying power. Because they're so large, they get huge discounts. They have an in-house general contractor, in-house rehab team. And so there's a lot of things that come with that management company that allow my job as an asset manager to be a lot more streamlined and a lot easier because they have that leverage and buying power. Yep. Okay, that sounds great. So you mentioned your list of 65 questions. Can you pick out like one or two that you think maybe we've overlooked or, you know, it's just ones that you'd like oh, to man. highlight. Putting me on the spot here. <laughs> um, you know, I, I like to just talk to the property management company and the regional. I think that's the biggest thing, right? You don't want to just talk to the owner or just some random person at the company. You want to know who you're going to be assigned to. So you can start to build a relationship with that person. This is a people business and not all people are created equal, right? So if you have five different regional managers in a company, everyone is going to manage their people differently and one can be good and one can be very bad. And so it's, that's, that's number one. Um, but I just like to ask questions about their property and the, and the market to see if they really know it, because I'm going to be trusting this person to create a budget for me on my property to tell me what they think the market rents can be. Um, and then we also go in and we'll shop their properties, not just the company's properties, but that specific regional's properties to see how they manage, who they hire how they train, all those types of things. So, you know, we ask them questions like, where are your other properties? What's the maximum amount of properties they'll manage? You don't want a, re a company that's going to hire a regional manager to manage 12 different properties because they're going to be spread way too thin and then their communication with you is going to lack um, and you're going to have to be really reliant on your manager on site. So I like to see no more than eight properties um, for each regional manager. And I like to hear that at eight properties, you know, eight, nine properties, they'll add another regional manager to spread it out a little bit. So those are some hmm. of the questions we ask. Okay. I suppose that the, the number of eight kind of depends on the size of those individual properties. Would you agree? Or, I mean, are we talking about typically hundred unit properties or 200 unit properties or what are we looking at? 
Yeah, not necessarily because, it, I mean, as long as they have on-site management. So I guess if, if you're talking about the 80 plus unit space, you know, it doesn't really matter if you have 80 or 250 units because you're still going to have an owner to report to. You're still going to have on-site management. And actually, the, the larger properties are probably easier for the uh, the regional because there's just more staff, right, and more infrastructure. So um, not necessarily. I, I think maybe by one or two properties um, if they're a bunch of smaller properties. But uh, ultimately, I think that, you know, having eight different properties, eight different owners, uh, that's a lot to manage. And so regardless of the size, it, it comes down to the to the number of properties. And, and, and eight's kind of a, a random number, um, but that's kind of what I've heard the industry standard you kind of want. So Okay. Yeah, very good. Um, you know, one thing that you've already touched on before, and I wanted to dig into it a little bit more, is just the idea of um, taking care of our residents, you know, the idea of customer service. So how do you kind of make sure that all the way from you as the asset manager down to the regional manager, to the on-site manager, to the maintenance and leasing, how do you make sure that there's kind of a culture of customer service? Yeah, a couple of things. I've got two great examples. Number one, it's by visiting the property, right? We just let one maintenance person go because when we're at the property, I mean, you can hear him from the other side of the property because he's just talking loud. He's always upset. He's yelling. The way he speaks to people, it's just not professional, right? And so when we first hired him, it was great. And you have to almost take a step back and say, okay, where is that coming from? So it may be even a deeper problem. But by visiting the property, you find out things very quickly. And I would say, don't always make your visits scheduled. Just pop in and see what's going on. Because when you have a scheduled visit, they know you're coming. So that property is going to look the best it can um, at that point. And, um, you know, you get to see a lot when you just pop in and, and see how the property looks. Um, another good example is it starts with just the first impression, right? And training your managers to communicate in a way that, um, helps the resident and adds value. So an example would be most of the stuff we like to do is via phone call. But sometimes, especially nowadays with, you know, technology, some people are more comfortable over text message or over email. And so it's even the way that we format the emails to communicate with residents. You know, a lot of the property management companies out there just allow um, their managers to respond in any which way. And a lot of times formatting's wrong, grammar is terrible, and it's just not very welcoming. It's, it's a copy and paste that basically says, thanks for applying. This is what we have available. Call me if you want anything. And so we've um, formatted our emails to be very uniformed, and it adds value back to the residents. Here are some local shopping centers near us. Here are some great schools that you can apply to if you have children. You know, here are some photos of the property. Um, and the person, the manager has a picture of their face and their signature so you can relate to them, right? And so you know who you're talking to so that when they do come in and tour, they feel like they already know you. Um, but doing things like that, it, it seems very simple, but, you know, we're adding value before they're even a resident of ours. We're trying to show them why you want to live here, the great things about living here, and giving them resources instead of trying to sell them up front. Yeah, and those are all good examples. And, and you're setting the tone right from the beginning. Um, you're guiding the staff to, you know, think critically about this and not just kind of shoot from the hip. So I think that's all great examples. Um, 
I don't know if, uh, if your communities or your buildings are large enough for this, but are there any sort of community engagement programs that you have, like either, you know, community picnic or anything like that in order to, um, you know, in, engage the community when they're there? Yeah, even for our smaller 42-unit property, we have a quarterly one there. It's 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 less frequent, but even on the uh, on the larger properties, yeah, we have a monthly type of get together. Whether that's uh, we just finished renovating our leasing office, so we had a grand opening of our leasing office, showed everyone, you know, bought food and had people come in uh, for Halloween. We'll have an event that's you know decorating Halloween and have the kids out and things like that. So yeah, every month we're doing something different, and again, it goes back to that culture and community. You want people to like where they live and not just, you know, walk in, go to their their apartment and that's it. It's, it's just a, a box where they, they live. Right. It, it needs to be more of a community feel to it. Yeah. Well, that's good. And, and have you found that uh, these are well received and well attended? Yeah, they're well attended. I think it's more of a trickle in and trickle out. So you don't have like 100 people there at one time, but it's it's people coming in and out and you know, the people that do go there, they appreciate it, you know, um, and it definitely sits in the back of their mind that, hey, this is a place that cares about us, you know, and so hopefully that results in, in longer uh, stays, but also resident referrals, which, which is huge. When you're getting your residents to refer other people to live at your community, you know you're doing something right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really the goal is that, you know, again, people want to stay there and then people want to refer their friends to stay there. That's great. Yep. Um, wonderful. Um, you know, another thing we want to go into here is just the idea, uh, or the topic of maintenance and capital improvements. Um, how do you approach, uh, budgeting for your properties, maybe at the initial value add stage? Yeah. I mean, it's, um, it's getting to know the market for sure. Um, because things vary in, in different markets and you need to be aware of different things in different markets like weather, right? Um, and and uh, flat roofs versus pitched roofs in certain markets and uh, HVACs and, and all that kind of stuff. But we work very closely with our general in-house general contractor on the third party property management company, you know, and uh, we'll call them before we even make an offer on a property to make sure that we're kind of um, in line with what he's thinking on the preliminary budget. Um, and you also want to have some type of. Um, contingency in there just in case you're off you know i mean no estimate is ever 100 percent accurate and you want to you know under promise and over deliver on on everything and so that's what we do is we always budget a little bit more than we think that we're going to need and then when you go in there and do due diligence that's really when you get the numbers you know you got to make sure you have all the contractors out there get multiple bids on every piece that you can and uh, that's when you really work cl even closer with your property management company saying okay here's the business plan. This is how we're going to lay it out. This is what it's going to cost. Um, and then go from there. But as far as the initial, you know, the more you do it, um, in the same market, the more you just get used to and, and understanding the properties. I mean, we have multiple properties now and we've done these projects before. So you can say, okay, well, this property costs about this, you know, we can, we can use that number for this property as well. So are there typically certain things that you're trying to do when you do that initial value add, are you trying to bring everything up to, you know, current market standards? Does that typically look like a, a bathroom remodel, kitchen remodel, or what does that look like? It really depends on the property. I mean, every property is different in, in, in every location, right? So 
Um, the thing that we do like to do is make sure the exterior pops and the current residents and new residents can tell that we're going in there and we're putting money back into the property and that we care about the, the property. Because if you only focus on interiors, I think it's very difficult for even residents that are staying there to see what you're doing, right? Again, it's a community. So it starts with the first impression. And so that's the thing that we like to tackle first. The other thing that we love tackling is deferred maintenance. These are things that are like HVAC units, plumbing issues, leaks, um, all those types of things, because those are causing day-to-day -day expenses on your P&L. And as soon as you tackle those, those come off and you reduce your expenses, therefore increasing your NOI. But it also shows the residents that you care about the property. I mean, when you're fixing leaks and things like that, that's not necessarily, it's not revenue generating, right? But the residents see that and they know you care about the property. So we're big on making sure that all the work orders from the residents, typically when we take over a property, there's a bunch of work orders that are backed up and we hit those right away. Uh, and I like to see 100% of our work orders being done on a weekly basis. We don't always get to them all, uh, especially when you're first taking over a property. But there should be no reason why there's work orders for, you know, two, three, four weeks. I mean, that's just unacceptable. Yeah. And, you know, that's one of the benefits of having large multifamilies that you typically have on-site maintenance, I assume, with yours. Um, you know, compared to smaller scattered site properties, where you have to schedule with a, another third-party contractor, you know, that can delay things quite a bit. Yep, 100%. I mean, that's why we love our third-party property management company. But we also have uh, two on-site ma maintenance people. So, um, But, you know, depending on where you are with the value-add stage and what you're having those maintenance people do, sometimes those things just don't get done. So it's, an, it's a thing that we like to see on our weekly reports, and we ask, what are those things, you know, because you can identify problems with them, too. If all 13 work orders are plumbing issues, we've got a plumbing issue. If they're all scattered, then OK. Um, but why didn't these get done and why did they get done? Yeah. Yep. That's good. Is there anything else that you track with maintenance to make sure that, you know, what's done is done well and maybe that it was needed to be done and it's not repetitive in the same unit type of thing? Yeah, I mean, it's going back and asking those questions, right, and, and having them relay back to you. So we retrack re everything on a weekly basis so we can go back and check and, and things like that, which is important, um, and seeing any trends. But it's asking the questions and then visiting the property. So every time we're at the property, we walk every vacant unit and everything, every unit that's under rehab so we can identify those problems. And we certainly have. You know, no property management company is perfect, um, but the ones that – can be transparent and open about their mistakes and then fix them going forward and be flexible. That's fantastic. And so, you know, you'll walk into a rehab unit and things are not straight or a little crooked. And, you know, the workers maybe rush this to get it up, up and it's not as clean as you want or whatever it is. But you don't see those things unless you walk the property and visit it because a, a property management company is going to tell you it looks great. Right. And they can take a picture to make it look great. Um, but you will not know unless you walk it and see it with your own eyes. Yep, that's really important. Yeah, um, and are there any things that you are doing, any products that you're using that you feel are extending the longevity of those renovations compared to, you know, fixing something that has to be done again in a year or so? Yeah, the only thing I can think of off the top of my head is the granite countertops. And we're able to get granite countertops because of the buying power of our third-party property management company for cheaper than Formica. Um, which it's, it's typically the other way around and Formica needs to be replaced much more often. And so the granite hard surface countertops will last much longer 
than the Formica will. Um, and that's because we're, we're getting it for cheaper. So that's one of the things. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's great. And then obviously people like granite and they, they feel like they're getting a higher end product. So that's exactly great. Um, you know, there's, there's lots of benefits to having passive income, having investment properties, but it's all not uh, rainbows and unicorns. You know, there's some difficulties in all of this. Uh, what's an example of maybe a difficulty that you've experienced either recently or just in the career of investing in real estate? And kind of what did you learn through that difficult experience? Yeah, I mean, we can talk about the COVID-19 stuff that's going on right now, right? And we're right in the middle of it, so we're not sure how bad it's going to be. But we just got an email stating that if you're a, an agency or a government-backed loan, which is Freddie or Fannie, that you cannot evict for the next 120 days. Okay, and so that's a huge challenge that we're having right now. We're not sure how we're going to handle that because I think, you know, the residents need to know, number one, that if they don't pay rent, it's tough to keep the lights on. But at the other end, there's a lot of people that want to take advantage of the situation. And even if they can pay rent, they won't. You know, the stimulus package is there for for help for these people to pay rent, but it doesn't state that they have to use that for rent. So it's definitely a challenge. And, you know, it goes back to we've built a community and a culture, and I'm hoping that the residents know that. Um, and we're trying to communicate with them and help them out and find jobs and, and do everything that we can to um, help them through this tough time. But they've got to help us as well. Um, and the biggest thing that, uh, you know, why we feel comfortable right now is we have plenty of reserves out there. So we're well capitalized on both our properties and we feel OK. Yes, this is going to definitely hurt. And who knows how long it's going to go for. But, you know, being a manager, your business plan is always changing. And it's about how you handle those situations and and how you get in front of it and how you communicate through these tough times. And that's what we're focused on is just educating ourselves as much as possible on the situation so we can keep our investors informed and our residents informed to just help everybody through the process um, and be open about whether it's good or very bad. Yeah. Are you sending letters to all the residents about COVID-19 or you know what has been the communication with them about this? Yeah, 100% we are. Um, we're helping them, number one, through just general information on how to stay safe. Knock on wood, none of our properties have had uh, um, anyone with uh, coronavirus. Um, and then the other thing, like I said, we're doing is we're actually sending out emails daily to everybody stating, hey, there's open jobs here. Uh, Walmart's looking to hire. Amazon's looking to hire. If you lost your job, here you go. And again, adding value to people, even in a crisis, you know, that will hopefully come back to us and, and, and be great and the residents will stay for longer. But we're communicating with them um, as much as we possibly can. We've sent out several notices. Okay. Yeah, that's good to hear. Um, <clears throat> you know, I think some people are maybe, maybe originally not, hopefully not now, but we're just kind of taking a wait and see approach. Hopefully this will all pan out and hopefully tenants will pay the rent. But I think you do have to be proactive about it and show them that, you know, you you care about their situation. Uh, we're all in this together. <laughs> Nobody expected this, but you know, here's like you said, here's resources. Here's things you can do. Here's ways we can help. Yeah, you don't necessarily have to send out a communication saying this is exactly what's happening, right? But just any type of communication that says, hey, here's where we are today, and here's what we're going to plan on doing. Whether that's you know waiting and seeing or not, but it's the communication piece. It's reaching out to people and letting them know, hey, you you care enough to send this letter um, and go from there. You know, like I said, you don't have to make a decision today, but just the communication helps. Yep, for sure. 
Well, um, you know, you've shared quite a bit of great information here today. We're going to be wrapping things up here soon. Um, any final uh, thoughts about systems and processes in business planning that can help our audience to improve their investment properties? Yeah, the thing I would just say is that you have to be consistent with it, right? It, it, anything in, in a business is about consistency. And so you can't just do it once in a while and understand what's going on. You've got to do it. or Whatever system you implement, you need to come up with a plan. It needs to be me measurable and traceable. You can't just say, okay, we want all of our days vacant to be less than 30 days, like, or we want our marketing efforts to be increased. Well, how do you want your marketing efforts to be increased? What platforms are you going to use? How are you going to track it? What are the lead conversions? All that kind of stuff. So the more detailed, the more measurable and traceable, uh, the better you'll be as a manager. Yeah, that's that's great. Being specific and you know, having those goals and, and plans be trackable. That's That's great. So, uh, well, before I let you go here, Kyle, I want to give the audience just a little bit more chance to get to know who you are. And so a couple of quick questions here. Uh, why do you get up in the morning? Yeah, it's uh, to support my family, number one, and to run my business. I mean, I, like I said, I left my job 11 months after, and this was before we even closed on a multifamily property. I'm just really passionate about helping others and, and um, the multifamily space. I, I love the community. It's a very small community, but everyone's willing to help each other out, and it's just fantastic to be a part of it and honored to be a part of it, really. Yep, for sure. Great. And then um, second question here is, what's an event or a person in your past that was really monumental in creating who you are today? Yeah, Tony Robbins. Um, his, uh, we went to his uh, UPW event a couple of years ago, my wife and I, and uh, it was definitely life-changing. And I've always followed him but never been to one of his events. But uh, it's a mindset shift for sure, and it was really inspiring and definitely changed the way I think. Okay. Yeah, very good. Okay, and then what's the best way for people to get in touch with you? Yeah, right now, depending on when this airs, you can um, either head over to limitless-estates.com or aptcapitalgroup.com. Either one will revert you to the right website, but I'm going through a merging right now with my business partner, and we're launching APT Capital Group. Uh, here in a few weeks. And uh, we have a free passive investors guide on there. And it uh, basically educates other investors, newer investors on how to get started in the syndication space and the things you need to know before you do make your first investment. Okay, well, great. That sounds like a great resource for people to look into. And um, Kyle, I really appreciate your time uh, spending with us today. And I wish you all the best in you know getting through this uh, COVID-19 situation that we're all experiencing. Um, so thank you so much for spending your time here today. Yeah, thanks, John, for having me on. I had a good time. Great. All right, see you later. The opinions shared on this show are for informational purposes only and should not be taken as a solicitation for representation or investments in any specific offering. Please consult with your financial, legal, tax, and real estate advisor before making any investment decisions. John Stiles is a licensed Minnesota real estate agent with Bridge Realty. Thanks for tuning in to Maximizing Your Property Value, the apartment owner's guide to operating rental properties as a successful business. If you're considering scaling up, downsizing, or right-sizing your real estate investment portfolio, it's important to know how to determine your property's value in today's market. That's why I've put together a free ebook for you called How to Calculate Your Investment Property's Value. To get your copy, go to www.realestatestyles.com forward slash value. Now, if you found any value in today's show, be sure to subscribe to our email newsletter, YouTube channel, and podcast through your favorite podcast player. 
All the links are in the show notes. And would you do me a big favor? Help me get the word out about this show by sharing with your friends on Facebook and LinkedIn. And lastly, we appreciate your five-star rating on iTunes. I really appreciate you and wish you the best in your real estate investing career. Signing off, I'm John Stiles with Bridge Realty. Make it a great day.